good to see you guys. Hope you guys had a good week. Uh, you know, we've been going through this book of Joshua, and I don't know about you guys, but I've been having a lot of fun. I don't know. How, how do you, what do you guys think? Good? It's, I, I, I like all the fighting, and you know, but at the same time, I just, it's, it's an exciting book. I like history books, right? And so uh, when I read, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is in the Old Testament, especially is the his, historical books, right? The, the prophetic books, like, you know, they're a little too much for me at times. And so it's really hard for me to go through, like Isaiah. When I do, I come out sometimes more confused, right? And, and, and there's a lot of truth I can get from it, but it, it, but it's not like a history book. History books, it's like there's there's a beginning, there's an end, and there's this action and all these things. So I, I really enjoyed going through the book of Joshua. Last week we studied chapter seven. Uh, they had this uh, big issue, and I uh, I is a is a, is the first city that they came into after Jericho. They they destroyed Jericho with the help of the Lord. They have them. You know, march around the city a bunch of times. At the end, they blow the horns, the walls fall down, and they captured Jericho. But then in Ai, they, they, this, is the, this is like the first place since they've come into the promised land, after they entered through, through the Jordan River, this is the first time that they, they actually made a mistake. This is the first time that they actually uh, did, did a, uh, you know, uh, had an error, right? A boo-boo, if you would, you know? And so uh, there's this guy named Achan. He steals a bunch of stuff, uh, devoted things, and then Joshua... Instead of going to God for wisdom, he actually goes to his men for wisdom. You know, he sends the men and say, "Tell me what they what they're like." And they come back and they're like, "Oh, you know, you know, we could take them. You know, you don't you don't need to send everybody. Just send like two, three thousand men, and we'll be able to take them." And then they actually face this great defeat. Right, thirty six men die, and Achan and his family uh, and all the possessions are destroyed and burned. Um, and then in, uh, and then so. That was the end of chapter 7. Now, I'm going to skip a few chapters. I'm going to skip, like, chapter 8 and chapter 9. But I'm not going to just skip it. I'm actually going to give you my paraphrased version of it. Because you need to know what happens in chapter 8 and 9 before you get to chapter 10, right? So in chapter 8, with God's help and with God's, um, you know, wisdom, at first Joshua didn't seek the Lord, right? Joshua didn't pray. He just, he, he just looked to his men, um, actually, for wisdom. They're like, hey, what do you think? But then in chapter 8... After they had this, like, you know, this issue in the, in the city of Ai, they're defeated. He goes to the Lord, and the Lord gives them the city. The Lord says, you know, I, I've given you the city. Um, the Lord gives them this strategy, and, and, and he says, you're going to split up into two armies, right? One of you guys are going to go to the backside of the city of Ai. You guys are going to be in there. You guys are going to be the, the ones that are um, going to be ambushing the city. And then the other half is gonna actually going to go to the gates of the city, and then they're going to pretend that, like they're going to attack. And when the city of Ai starts to attack you, you're going to run away. I don't know if you ever did this. It's called in Capture the Flag. You, you're going to run away, the people, and then they're going to start to chase after you. And when they've left the city, the ambush people from the back are going to enter the city, and they're going to set it on fire, and then, and then you're going to defeat the, the, the city of Ai. And that's what they do. Right? They lie in ambush in, in behind the city, and when uh, Joshua and the people come to the front, and they're like, hey, we're going to fight you. They run away, and as all of the men leave the city, they quickly enter, and they quickly set it on fire. That's the first thing that they do. They set it on fire. They devote it to destruction. And then when the people of Ai look back and they see their city burning, all of a sudden they're like, oh, what's going on? And then uh, they're all defeated, right? And that's how the city of Ai ultimately is defeated. And then in the end of chapter 8, Joshua has a ceremony where they take this big slab. God tells them to take this big slab of stone that has never been had like a man hit it with an iron anything, right? It just has to be a natural big slab of stone. Take it, and then they, they did sacrifices unto the Lord. They did their burnt offerings. They did their, sac their, uh, their uh, thanks, uh, peace offerings. And then Joshua writes on that, that tab all of the law of Moses. Now, this probably took a while, right? But he actually writes on this big slab of stone all of the law of Moses, right? And then at the end, he gathers everybody, and, and, and it says there... Uh, was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read. Wait, I think I missed it. Is it up there? All right. There was not a word. Uh, there was not a word all of that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So after this big error, this big mistake in I. They defeat the city of Ai, and they com commit to follow the word of the Lord. And we have to take note how important the word of God 
is for the people of God. When we honor the word of God, when Joshua honors the word of God, he, he finds himself on God's side. Right? I preached, this, uh, preached about this a few weeks ago, that it's not about God being on our side, right? but it's about us actually being on God's side. God is on his own side. He's not this, he's not this like, you know, genie that we have in our pocket, Aladdin's coming out soon, by the way. Uh, he's not this genie that's coming out, you know, and then we just say, oh, God, help me now. You know, you have to be on my side. God has a purpose and a plan. All of this is his story, right? And then, and then we have to find ourselves on his side. And so, you know, they, they find themselves, they recommit to being in covenant with God, and there's a recommitment to the word of God and following the word of God and obeying and living by the word of God, you know, he actually writes all of the laws of Moses on this big slab, and then he reads it to the people, every single one, even the people that have joined them along the ride, all the children that even probably don't even understand. He reads it to every, to the whole law of Moses to all the people of the city. Now, obeying and living by the word of God is very important to the people of God. It's, it's integral. Right? You can't, like, separate that. You know, like, I don't know who's seen the movie Karate Kid. Anybody seen the movie, the original one? Anybody? Not the one where they, it's called the Karate Kid, but he does Kung Fu, which makes no sense, right? By Jackie Chan. Um, you know, in the Karate Kid, the first one, like, like Mr. Miyagi tells Daniel, he, Mr. Miyagi commits to this, this kid, Daniel, who's getting bullied, right? And he recommits to him, and he said, teach me karate, and he said, I'm going to teach you karate, right? But what does he actually teach him, right? Initially, he teaches him, he's like, he thinks he's going to learn how to punch and kick. He teaches him how to paint the wall up and down. And there's like this long stretch of way. He got to just, just do the wall, cover him, not up, down, up, down. And then after he's done with that, he makes him do what? He, t- he has like this whole junkyard full of cars, and he makes them wax on and wax off, right? Wax on and wax off. And then, but, but what has he been teaching him through the, the, what he's been telling him to do is actually the moves in which he's going to defend and fight and, and, and kick you know, his enemies and, and, and be victorious in the end. And the same thing with the word of God. The word of God for us, right, we have to be obedient to the word of God in the mundane moments of our life, right? It's not just when we need help. We're like, oh, God, I call upon your word, you know? Even when you're, when you're doing the grocery shopping, you know, when you're teaching the kids, when you're, when, you're, when you're on the subway, you know, when you're watching TV, these are the moments that you have to be obedient and you have to live according to the word of God. Because when it's time to do the battle, it's just going to come naturally to us. But if we haven't been doing this, and if we haven't been doing this, when the punch comes, we're just going to be like, oh, God, what are we doing? We're just going to get popped in the face. The word of God has to be ingrained in our hearts. This is, there is no separation between the people of God and the word of God. We are, we come as one. When we became the people of God, we had to accept and receive the word of God as the word of God. That's how important it is for us. Right. So that's what happens in chapter 8. In chapter 9, there's this, mom, there's this issue with the Gibeonites. We heard about Gibeonites in chapter 10, but in chapter 9, the Gibeonites, they actually deceive the Israelites. What happens is they hear about the Israelite king and the, the Israelite God and all of the people of Israel defeating Jericho and defeating the people of Ai. And so now they have this plan. And they go, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get a bunch of our people. We're going to put on old clothes, right, like sandals that are worn out, clothes that look like they've been on him, us for, like, for months. We're going to take a bunch of bread that's all flaky and crumbly. We're going to take wineskin that's all old and, like, you know, about to burst. And we're going to Jer- uh, we're gonna go to Joshua, and we're going to have them make a, a covenant with us, a promise. And so they come, and, and, and as they come to, to Joshua, they see th- this group of people coming to the, in, into Gigal, and they're like, they're like, oh, we've traveled from this far-off land, this land that's like really, really far away. It's a far-off country. It's not in the area of the promised land. Uh, look at our clothes. Look how messed up our clothes are. Look how messed up our sandals are. You know, look at the bread. When we, ma- when we, when we took this bread to go on this journey, it was freshly bla- baked. It was like really nice and steamy. And then look how crumbly and dry this is. You know, we've come from this far off land, and we've heard about you and your God, and we want you guys to make a, com- a covenant with us, right? And so Joshua actually looks at them, and is like, oh, okay, they, they, these are probably people not f- 
from this area that we're supposed to conquer. And so he makes his covenant with them. And then they go to see where, they are, where they're from. And all of a sudden, they only travel three days. They've only traveled three days, and they enter this place, and they realize that these are not people from this far-off country, but people actually living in the promised land and, and, and whom God had meant to destroy. But because there's this promise, this covenant between them and the people of Israel, Joshua can't attack them. And so Joshua made them that day, as it says in the Bible, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Now, there's a lesson to draw from this chapter 9. Um, and we can, we can talk about, like, compromise. We can talk about, like, seek, not seeking God's wisdom in times of trouble, like, decisions. But we can't pass up the role that the Gibeonites play in this situation. Because the Gibeonites actually represent us as the believers. Okay? Just like Rahab was back in Jericho, the Gibeonites is like the church. When Joshua asked them why did they uh, do this, they respond in this way. It says, because it was told to your servants for a certainty. Okay? I want you guys to remember that word, certainty, that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Okay? Remember that. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord. To this day, in the place that he should choose. I see here, this is, this is, like, this is the representation of the gospel in the church. The Gibeonites actually had faith. It says, they knew with a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servants to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. They believed God. They, they actually had faith in God. They believed that God was who he said he was. And here is the part that really clinches it for me. They humbled themselves. Okay? Because we'll learn, uh, Pearl just read it, that Gibeon was a great city. Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and their men were warriors. Well, Gibeon was actually a, just a mighty, it's like, it's like, a, like a huge city that's, it's, that's considered like a city for kings, right? And all of the men in there are warriors, and yet they ended up humbling themselves to a life of being woodcutters and water drawers. That's humility. That's the cornerstone of the gospel. And so they humbled themselves because they knew that God was who they heard he was. And so the Gibeonites are spared because from a fear of the Lord, they submitted themselves to God's plan for them. That's just, that's the gospel right there. So we, but that's not even my sermon today. I just, I had, I had to do that so that you, you know how, what's happening while we enter into chapter 10, right? This is the, this is the passage for us today. It actually comes from chapter 10, and we're at, we're finally at the part that we kind of want to talk about, and it says, as soon as Adonidezek, I'm going to be worse than Pearl on this, right? Soon as Adonidezek, king of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem had not been conquered yet. But there was a city called Jerusalem even before the Israelites got there. Okay, this is, this is uh, the king of Jerusalem heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction and doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its kings and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than I, and all the men were warriors, so Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, and Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lashish, and to Debir, the king of Eglon. Okay, I'm done there. Come up to me and help me. Right? This is Remember, uh, come up to me and help me, and, and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua, and with the people of Israel. And we just covered that in chapter, chapter 9 about how the Gibeonites had, had kind of tricked the Israelites into this, this truce that they have together. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. Right? 
So we, we realize that there's this is this is not this is a formidable force that's coming against Joshua. It's not just one king, but it's five kings and all of their armies. It's five major cities and all of the armies that come along with, with these major cities are actually coming against Gibeon in attempt to actually get the Israelites to attack them so that they can destroy them. And it says, and the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gagel, saying, do not relax your hands from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So these five kings get together. They start to attack Gibeon, right, because, you know, they made truce with the Israelites. And, the, and, and, and Gibeon, and they're like, hey, Joshua, come help us. You know, we made this promise. You guys said that you guys would have our backs, right? And so Joshua gets up, and he, he, he heads for Gibeon. And this is the part I want to focus on today. And it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gigal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel and struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Ezekah and Mazedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones uh, than the sons of Israel killed with sword. Did, did I... You got, that's still up there, right? Sword. Um, and it says, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven. And did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. For the Lord. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at, at Gigal. Now today I want to talk about what happened here. And, I, and I, I feel like one of the things that we can draw from this, this battle is the spiritual warfare aspect of our lives as, as Christians. I want to talk about spiritual warfare. Because as believers, the Bible says that we are at war, right? We're at war, and we have an enemy, and, and, and we have we need to have the weapons and, and, and the plans in order for us to defeat the enemy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 13, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In 2 Corinthians 10, 1, 4 to 6 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive obey Christ, being ready to punish every dis disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, Joshua was in a physical battle with these five kings of the Amorites, but the principles to their victory correlates to our victory in the spiritual realm. You guys know that there's a spiritual realm. You guys know that we don't just live in this flesh and blood that we live in, but there's a spiritual realm, and that spiritual realm, realm rests realm, can I get a glass of water? My mouth is so dry right now. The spiritual realm is just as real as, and if not more real than the natural realm. What happens in the spirit actually like correlates to what happens in our physical lives. And so we, we have to know that you know, that there is a battle going on. Thank you so much, Elaine. There is a, there is a battle that's happening in our lives. Because we are in a battle and we're in a state of uh, warfare in the spiritual realm against the dark spiritual forces that oppose the work of God in this world. <laughs> I've said this before, but when we we're saved, the devil took notice. You guys know that? No, it doesn't take a lot of energy for the devil. First of all, the devil is not omnipotent. 
uh, omnipotent, omnipresent, and, and omni, omniscient. Like he's not like all-knowing. No, he doesn't have all power, and he definitely can't be everywhere at all times. So the works of the devil are actually limited. So when it comes to all of the, the non-believers and all of the people of the world that are living their lives according to the world, the devil doesn't really have to, like, put a lot of effort into keeping them on that path, right? You know, it's like on, on autopilot, cruise control. Like, he just probably sends, like, you know, just whatever, you know, like, people to make sure that they, you know, go to the clubs and do what they need to do, right? But then when, it, when, when somebody becomes saved and when the Spirit of God enters a man, right, and they join, they become the church, they become the bride of Christ, the, the devil takes notice. He takes notice. And so he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to worry about all the people that are, that are living the life of the world. But when it comes to uh, uh, the people that are part of the church, the, the bride of Christ, the, the, that's where his efforts go to. Because he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at all times. So he, he, he takes that effort. And there's more. And so the, these spiritual attacks are for the, for the church. It's for the people of Christ that ha- have been saved and have the spirit of God in them, right? There are going to be attacks. There are going to be things that come to us from the enemy to, to bring us down, to discourage us, to tempt us, and to lead us down a path of sin and ultimately to death. But we're not left helpless. God says that we are mighty warriors, that we have every weapon and strategy that we need to defeat the enemy. And in Genesis 20 through 17, it says, Surely I will bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as star as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. So we, as the church, right, are all, like, this is what's going to happen. The church will possess the gates of the enemy. We will be victorious, but it doesn't mean that there's not going to be attacks. It doesn't mean that we, we, we don't have to fight. We definitely need to fight. We are the mighty warriors of God. Right? When, we are, when we were saved and when we came into the church, right, God gave us a, 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 an, he gave us a, a, a purpose to, to fight, to fight the works of the enemy, to fight the works of the devil. Because that's why Jesus Christ came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And when he went, he gave us that job to who? You know, to the kittens, to the to the goats. No, he gave the job to man. He gave us to, to the church so that we can ultimately defeat the works of the devil. And so we're not helpless, and we're not, you know, we're not we're we're not constantly in this place of you know danger. But we are in a war. Now today, I want to talk about the aspects. My title today is the keys to our war- warfare. What are the keys? How are we supposed to fight? When the enemy is attacking, when the enemy comes to, to bring us down, to deceive us, to lead us down the sin of, path of sin, how are we to fight? How are we to warfare? I believe that what happens in Joshua is very, it correlates to how we are to fight in the spiritual realm. And, in, and my first point today is we fight with the word of God. I talked about it earlier in Joshua 8, after the whole de- the debacle in Ai, right, the city of Ai, Joshua did he has this moment of recommitting back to God and recommitting back to the Word of God. This is very important. Right? He makes this altar. He writes down all of the laws, and then he reads it. Right? He could have just written it out, but he actually reads all of the laws to everybody. He took every single person that was in the that people of Israel, even the children, the women, the the the, the, the sojourners, the people that are just just along for the ride, the the, the servants. Everybody was was able to hear the Word of God. The, the, the law of Moses being spoken to them. It was a recommitment back to the word of God. And the first weapon that God gave us to fight for him was his word. It has everything we need to defend ourselves. It has everything we need to attack the enemy and be victorious. We need to low, know how to wield the word of God. One of the key mistakes that Christians make when going into spiritual warfare is they don't learn to wield the one clear weapon that God gave us to be victorious and through Christ. You know, they think like, oh, I'm just going to pray really hard, right? If I pray really loud, have you ever seen those people when, when it's time to like you know, pray for somebody, you know, you know, we've been on mission fields and, and we've, you know, and then that's a one of some of they're just loud and they're just, they think they, if I pray really loud and if I pray really fervently, right, right I'm going to defeat the works of the enemy. Or they, they just think like, oh, if I just, I'm just standing on my faith 
You know, and a faith is very important. I'm just going to stand on my faith. And if I stand on my faith and I know that God has given me my faith, then, then, then I'm going to be able to d- defeat the works of the enemy. But they may be actually praying something that goes against God's word for their life. They may actually be standing on faith, but a faith of no substance because it's not founded in the word of God. You guys have to understand, right, that, like, Whatever, whatever we do in prayer, whatever we do in faith has to be founded on the word of God. That's why there's a lot of, like, people criticize, like, you know, like the charismatic people. They're like, oh, they're just all about experience, and they're just not rooted in the word. And then because you talk about, you know, the, the conservatives, like, oh, they're just all about, you know, studying the word, you know. But, you know, there's a balance to this, a balance to the spirit and the word, right? It comes together. Right? And one of the most powerful men I met, his name is Bobby Connor. Right? We were at a retreat last year. Dude had the Bible memorized. Right? He literally, he said he had a bookshelf full of Bibles, and all of the pages have withered. You can't read it because he, he breathed with his fingers like this, that it, the, the text had rubbed off all of these Bibles. He read it so many times. And the way he preaches is there is not a verse that he does not have memorized. And it was amazing. He didn't use his Bible at all. He just stood there, and he just talked for like, he talked for a very long time. But but everything out of his mouth was scripture. It was scripture. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was scripture coming out of his mouth, and it was memorized. It was in his heart, and it was powerful. That is the way that our our hearts should be regarding the word of God. It is the first weapon that God gives us. It is one of the most important weapons. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are the 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 thing. The two you know entities that is supposed to guide us in defeating the works of the enemy. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. So how are we going to destroy every argument, you know, and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God if we don't have the knowledge of God? If we don't even know what the knowledge of God is. Hebrews 4, 12 12 to 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is not just a book filled with wisdom, but it is living and active. You guys remember that? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is living and active. It can pierce into our soul and in our, in our spirit, and it can discern our thoughts and intentions. Have you ever read the Bible and you've read this passage over and over again many times since you were young? All of a sudden you read it and it like hits you in this new revelation. You've never had this like it, it affects your life in such a powerful way out of nowhere. You've read it countless times. It's ne- you've never seen it this way and all of a sudden you see it this way. It's because the word of God, it, it can actually like he knows our, our hearts and our, our intentions. And if you want to transform your thoughts and your intentions in your spirit, you need the word of God. Now, I've noticed this in my life. There's, time, there's times where I try to do something for God or I try to do something in my life and I fail. Like, I have the best of intentions. Right? I have the best of intentions, but I, ultimately I fail. But when that, in, when that intention is sparked by the word of God, when it's something that comes from me, it comes from me understanding and, and, and realizing it from the place of the word of God, that, that experience changes radically. The source of our actions need to be from the place of us being sparked by the word of God. And when we, and we continue on and with Joshua, we'll realize and we'll know that the, his warfare and the way that he fights, it actually is from the word of God. It's from the recommitment of the word of God that he had back in chapter 8. And we also have to take into account that the enemy knows the word of God. Did you know that? You know that the enemy knows the word of God? In Matthew 4, 6, it says, it says, if you are the son of God, this is the devil, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He throws the Bible at Jesus. He takes the word of God and he throws it at Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He, he volleys it right back. Right, right back at Jesus. Satan knows and he understands the world of God. Satan does not always try to ruin faith by saying the Bible is not true. He often tries to destroy our faith by affirming some passages and using it to lead us into disobedience. So the enemy knows the word of God. 
And so we have to know the word of God. If we're going to spiritually warfare, right, like we have to have it in our system so that we know the lies of the enemy. And you know how you can know, tell it's a lie? How you, you compare it to the word of God. Whatever is coming to you, okay? Is that what you're telling me? Let me check here. All right. Okay, well, that's a lie. Right? That's what we have to do. That's the way that we're going to be able to defend the attacks of the enemy. So we have to have the word of God in our hearts. It's imperative. Next, it says, God tells Joshua, do not fear. Like here, you know, one of the keys to, to the, the warfare, to fighting in the spirit, um, to spiritual warfare is to not fear. And it says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Every time that God has Joshua go into battle, he tells him, do not fear. Do not fear. Before he crosses the Jordan, do not fear. Before he goes into the city of Ai, after they've all had that mess up, he says, do not fear. And as he's going against the armies of the five Amorite kings, he says, do not fear. And it's because God knows that to fear the enemy is to not have faith in God. Fear is the opposite of faith. If we are going to war against the enemy, we can't have fear because the source of that fear is a lack of faith in God. The enemy already fears God, right? It says all of the enemies, their hearts melted before the God, God of, of Israel, right? They, they already fear God. And so w- when we fear God, all the enemy has to do is just twist that fear and make it go against the character of God. James 2.19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So they fear the Lord. But when, it start, when, it, when we start to fear the enemy, the enemy, what he does is he takes that fear and then he twists, he takes that fear and then he, he uses it against us in a way where he starts to lie to us about the character of God. See, all he has to do is twist that fear and make us lose faith in God. You know what? You know what? God is not for you. God doesn't love you. You know what? God can't do this for you. God is not your provision. You know, God is not everything for you. And he just twists that fear and turns it into a lack of faith. And we start to lose our trust in the power of God. God is not all powerful. God can't cure cancer. God, God can't give you a job. You know, you know, God God is going to actually punish you because you did this. These are the lies of the enemy that comes, and then it actually turns whatever fear you might have into a place where you start to lose trust in God. So when we start to fear the enemy, we have to realize that the truth is the word of God. The enemy will lie to us. He'll fill us with all kind of deceit. And as those lies creep in, it weakens our faith in God. That's why the, our number one point, the first point, the word of God is so, is so important. It's so imperative. The word of God is the truth. What the word of God says about God is truth. And it's the number one way that we can break off fear from our lives. It's the word of God. Don't just read it. Meditate. Write it on your heart like Joshua wrote it on that big slab of, of stone, right? Bring it into your heart so that it's there when the enemy attacks. Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of God. And so if we have fear, it's because we have the wrong understanding of God. And the way that we can fix that is through the word of God, which is the right understanding of God. You guys understand? And I want to challenge you today, if you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're struggling with hopelessness, I want to challenge you to do like a Bible reading plan or read the Bible in a systematic way, steadily and prayerfully. And as you do this, I guarantee you're going to start to break off fear off of you. And read it prayerfully, mankind, and read it as if the Bible is a reflection of the true identity of who you are. Right? This John Newfield did this one time. As look at it as, as the Bible is, the, is a mirror image of what the Word of God is. Right, the Word of God is a mirror image of what you are. So when you're looking at the Bible, you're actually looking at a reflection of who you are. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of Joel Osteen. Who likes Joel Osteen? He's a very charismatic, good-looking guy, right? 
Uh, Joel Osteen, and I'm not a huge fan of Joel Osteen. I'm not, I don't fully agree with his theology. But he does say this in all of his sermons, and I have it up here, and it's very encouraging. Right? It says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am, and I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, everlasting seed of the word of God. I will never I will never be the same. Never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. He says that prayer in every one of his sermons. So if you ever listen to Joel Osteen's sermons. But I believe what he says here is very true. We have to look at the, 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 the word of God as a reflection of who we are in the spirit. We have to look at the word of God not just as, oh, this is applicable to this person, but not for me. This is applicable to those to that pastor. This is applicable to Molly because she's so very holy. You know, like this is this is uh, applicable, but it is not applicable to no. You read the word of God and you believe the word of God more than you can actually feel for it in your in your in your in your soul. You may be actually struggling. You may be having a bad day. You may be actually actually have fallen into sin. You might have actually like done something really bad and, and you feel really hopeless and you feel really sick. But you read the Bible and in faith you say, you know what? I am what the Bible says I am. I am what the word of God says I am. And then from that place of faith, God brings you into a place of where you start to repent. And you start to realize, hey, right, God is on my side. God loves me. He is for me. He's not, he, he doesn't want to smite me. We need the word of God. That's why, how you should go into reading and meditating the word of God with, with an expectation that, that God, God's word will come to pass. And when you go into the word of God as a reflection of who you are, the word of God will tell you to not fear. It's not going to be, it's no longer going to be like this, this voice that comes from you like, oh, I, I, I shouldn't have fear. No, it'll be the word of God declaring into your heart, you shall not fear. And it's very different when it comes to you this way. When it's being declared by the word of God, do not be anxious. The word of God says you will have hope. God tells Joshua, do not fear. And he says this. And he says, do, do not fear, for I have given them into your hands. This is that prophetic perfect tense I covered last week, right? He, he declares it. It hasn't happened yet, but he declares it as if it's already happened. And so it's basically like this. Do not fear, and we claim the victory that we already have in Christ. We do not fear. And though you have you don't have that job yet, right? They, they they didn't hire you yet, right? You still are jobless. You have no fear, and you claim that God is your provision. You may not have that healing yet, but you do not fear, and then you claim that God is our healer. Now you may have had a bunch of setbacks in your life, but you do not fear, and you claim that God has a plan for you, plans for welfare, not for evil, plans to for for a future and a hope. You don't fear, and then you stand on the word of God. This is, this is the strategy that God gives us. And I know that sometimes it's not easy to not fear. I struggle with fear just like everyone else. But let me tell you, you, have, you, know, you may have tried to break off this fear. You're like the one person that can break it off is God. And what God is telling you right now through the word of God, right? what God is telling you is do not fear. Put your hope, put your faith in me. All that fear is going to get you nowhere. That fear is not from me. Put, do not fear and stand on the word of God. That's what God's declaring over here. So when we warfare, we can't warfare from a place of fear. We can't warfare from a place of anxiety. But we have to warfare from a place of rest. From a place of knowing that God is who he says he is. And the Bible tells us who I am. And that is who I am. That this is this is where, this, that's the place, right? That's that position. You know, in football, you need to have a, a right stance, right? You need to, your butt has to be down. We've been doing, a, like, this exercise in, in, at our house, me and Nina, every night. And we've been pretty good at it. Every night we do this thing called 21-Day Fix. Beach body, they, there's, a, 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 like, a bunch of people that come out. You, you have to exercise with them. And, and the kids do it, too. And we're all there. But they always say, position is everything. How, your stance is everything, right? If you don't have the right stance, then you're not going to be able to do the exercise right. And in the same way, when we stand against the enemy, right, we have to stand with the right position. We have to know that God is who he says he is, 
And the Bible tells me who I am, and that is the identity that I'm going to stand on, and that's how you war against the enemy. We can't do it from this position of like, you know, like, oh, I think God is this, you know. But you have to have that, that, that conviction in your heart. God is who he says he is. He is all-powerful. There's nothing that he can't do. And we can't come from a place of fear, but we come from a place of rest. And then my next point, number three, it says pray with authority and the power that we have in God. This is my favorite part. It says, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord. Right, this is what he says. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the son of Israel, and he said it in, in the sight of Israel. He says, son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of uh, Ajalon, and the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. I, I love this. Joshua prays to God, and it says he spoke to God, and he says that the sun and the moon stopped. Joshua declares to the sun and the moon to stop so that they can actually kill all the enemies before the sunset. The sunset, you know, it's going to be hard. They're going to run away. And so he tells the sun, stop. He tells the moon, stop. And it stops for the whole day and so that all of the enemies of God can be de defeated. Joshua declares this. And when we are on God's side and we are doing his perfect will, God gives us the authority and the power to be victorious. In the spiritual warfare, we have to pray with authority and we have to expect God's power. Those are the two things that I want to get at here. We have to pray with the authority, but we also have to expect God's power. We have to know that the authority doesn't come from us. It's not because I'm special. It's not because you're special. But it's because God in you is all-powerful. That Christ in you has all authority and the power to destroy the works of the enemy. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. Joshua knew that he, as he prayed to God and commanded the sun and the moon to stand still, God had the power and he had the authority to do it. We pray in faith with an expectation for God to display his power. We pray with an expectation for God's power to manifest. We don't pray, you know, like, oh, God, if you think it's right, if you feel like the key here is to be living in his will, right? We're not on our side. Right? God's not on our side. We're on God's side. Right? We're living lives of obedience. We're living in God's will for our lives. If you're in God's will for our lives, right, whatever you ask, he's going to do because it is in his will to do it. And it's in his will. And, and so we, we can pray with authority. When the enemy is trying to discourage you, you know, lead, lead you down this path, we're going to turn that attack into a victory with an expectation of God's power. You guys realize the Amorites, you know, the, 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 people, uh, the people of Canaan actually, they had, a, they had a deity for the moon and they had a deity for the stars. Out of the many gods that they worshipped, they worshipped the moon and they worshipped the stars. Then they t God takes whatever they worship and actually makes them stand still so that they can be defeated. That's being in line with God's will. When you're in line with God's will, God's power will be displayed. That is how we pray in spiritual warfare. We decree, we declare that things that we can't do will be done by God because we are living in his will and we are submitted to his purpose. It says, you know, God will work all things for good for everyone. No, for those that are, that are according to his purpose. Being submitted to his will is key here. Jesus taught us to pray this way, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not like, you know, thy kingdom come and, and, and then can I get what I want next week? You know, like, 
For thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can't just dis- decree and declare anything you want willy-nilly. It has to be in line with God's will. You can't decree and declare like, Lord, I decree that that girl's going to like me. I've done this before. It does not work, right? Harry, it doesn't work, right? I'm telling you, right? It has to be, you have to be in line with God's will for your life. If you are in line with God's will for your life, right, the, God's will is going to go forth from you, and then you're going to decree it, and you're going to declare it, and it's going to come to pass because you are, you are doing it according to his purpose. And so many people, we get off this track, and we're like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decree and declare this in my life, and I, I don't know if God wants it, but I really want it, and so I'm going to make that girl like me. And, and then you get, and then you, nothing happens, right? Yeah, so sad. I've done it many times, and I think it's only worked one time. <laughs> because it was in line with God's will, right? We have to be submitted to his will. We have to be submitted to him. If we want to be victorious in the spiritual realm, we have to be submitted to the will of God. That is where the battle is. If we're actually, you know what? The enemy actually likes it when you are doing good things outside of the will of God. Do you know that? This is the will of God for your life. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this thing, and it's good. It's helping people. And, and, and it's actually, I'm, I'm not sinning, and I'm actually helping people, and I'm, you know, I'm going to do this. And the enemy actually loves that because he, what his plan is to get you off of the will of God because when you are in the will of God, you're very powerful. But when you're outside of the will of God, you're still doing nice things. You're still not really like sinning per se. You're less effective when you're outside of the purposes of God because you're not in line. The enemy will always try to, he, like I said last week, he doesn't tempt us with like, go rob that bank, right? I'm not going to rob that bank, right? Like, go, go, that person cut you off, go kick, you know, beat him up. No, right? But then, but then he'll, he'll give you these subtle ways of like temptation that's going to, not going to like make you maybe off, go off and sin, right? Or do a 180 and, you know, go to the club and, no. He might actually just like, you know what, instead of doing, following the will of God, do it this way. Maybe, maybe, just, maybe just think about it this way. Right? And, then, and as you follow this path away from the perfect will of God for your life, and you, stop to, you stop listening to the will of God, and you start to listen to your flesh. And the thing, your flesh will always lead you down a path, ultimately to, to sin. I, I, that was a tangent. I, forgot. I don't even know where I am. Right? Oh, but we have to be submitted to the will of God for our life. We pray... When we pray, we pray with authority. That's the key here, authority. You pray knowing that God is who he says he is, and, and I am who, what the Bible says I am, right? And you pray with authority in line with his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And that's how we are to warfare. It doesn't, it's not about how loud you are. It doesn't matter how many, you know, that you could pray in tongues. Or praying in tongues is amazing. Paul tells us to pray in tongues all the time. So I pray in tongues more than any of y'all, right? You guys got to pray in tongues, right? But then it, it, but it, it really is when you are warring in the spiritual realm, right? It's a, it's the position of our heart. We have to be in line with the with God's will for our life. And then, and then point number four: when we pray with faith, God does most of the work. I love this part. God does most of the work, and it's based on His power. God does most of the work, and it's based on His power. And it says, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the, the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Ezekah and Makedah. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ekazah, and, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the son of Israel killed with the sword. When we war and when we are on God's side, God does most of the work. It doesn't mean that we don't fight. It doesn't mean that we don't battle. It doesn't mean that we're not on guard. But when we are in his perfect will and when we are warring, the power of God is at work in us, and he does most of the work. I want to give you an example. And we have very, very friends. A lot of us know Herman and Grace. You guys know about Herman and Grace? Or if you guys don't know, they were, Herman was our worship pastor for like six years here in East Village Regional. 
when Grace was here living, she was living as a mom, teaching English here and there. And then all of a sudden, they got this, they got this call. They felt like God was sending them to, to Silicon Valley in California, one of the most, first of all, one of the most expensive, expensive places to, to work and one of the, to, to live and work and one of the hardest places to get into. You need to have, like, you need to have skills to be, to live in Silicon Valley. But that's what felt, that they felt like they were, God was leading them in this way. And so they actually picked up everything, uh, took their kids out of school, and they moved to Silicon Valley in faith. They, they are one of the most uh, faith-filled people that I know. They live a life of faith. And as, and as they got there, right, and in my mind, this is me in the natural. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so hard for them. This is going to be so hard for them. They're, they're not going to get a job. And they're not gonna, this is what happened. When they got there, first of all, they were able to buy a car without a job. That's impossible in America. I don't know if you know. It's impossible to buy a car without a job, right? They were able to buy a car. They were able to buy two cars without a job, right? They were able to get in, go into an apartment without a cosigner, right? without a job. Right? And then soon, Grace, she gets this job. I, I'm not going to tell you how much she's getting paid because you guys would be like, whoa, right? But she, but she got her salary was she was in Korea for 10 years, right? And she didn't work in 10 years in the professional field. Her salary is at, at the level that she would be getting if she had started out in Silicon Valley and worked her way up for the last 10 years. That's the salary that, that she got as she started her career. That's supernatural. And that is the way that, that when you are walking in the perfect will of God and when you start to follow God and, and, and God tells you to do this and you do it and you're obedient and you're walking the way and, and, and you, are, you know that like you are, have that assurance that God is leading you in this path and you're obedient to his path, the work God will do most you just have to be there to fight, and you just have to be there to, to be on guard and be alert and make sure that you're following the path of the Lord. That is spiritual warfare. That's the work, to be submitted to his will in his authority without fear. We put our faith in God, and he does most of the work. It doesn't mean that we don't fight. It doesn't mean that we, we're, we're supposed to you know, just do whatever. No, it means that we warfare from a place of rest. We warfare not from a place of striving. We warfare not from a place of, like, you know, doing it. Ah, we warfare from a place of rest. And knowing that God is victorious. We're not to live in fear of the enemy, in fear of the world, but we are to live victorious lives, fully equipped to wage war against the forces that oppose God and the church. The forces of the enemy, they oppose the church. They oppose what's happening here. They oppose what you're feeling in your heart. They oppose like whatever wisdom that, that God is trying to give you right now. And we are to wage war against the enemy from a place of rest. Through the word of God, through faith and not fear, as we ask and we seek God's will for our lives, we live, we live with the expectation that God's power will be displayed through us. We live with the expectation that God's power will be displayed through us. We have a, we have a hope and faith in God's power. We, and, and that's how we are to warfare. When, we, when the enemy attacks, when, when, when you feel discouraged, when those things happen in our lives, and we feel like we just, we've had a setback, we take our place, we take that place, that position, knowing that God is who he says he is, and that we are what the Bible says we are. We follow the will of God for our lives. Let's stand up. Let's let's close with prayer.